Hey there, thanks for coming. Before we get started, just a few reminders. You can sign up for text alerts from me, Big Mama. You'll get insider text before anyone else with invitations to be a guest on the podcast. New episode releases, secret merch drops. Just text the word JOIN to 332-244-6262. Remember, you have to be at least 13 years old to join the text list. Have you already left us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts? No? What are you waiting for? Five-star reviews, especially with a comment, help the podcast to be found by other people. So do it now. Like, right now. Okay? Now. Hey, we're on the search for podcast guests. If you're a student, seventh grade or higher, who has ever seen, I don't know, some sus, moist behavior on Roblox or Discord, because, hey, who hasn't? Let us know. If we use your story in an episode, you'll get some merch. And don't worry, we'll never, ever, ever, ever use your real name or any other detail which might reveal your identity, because we're not idiots. You can either leave a voicemail at 332-244-6262 or email a voice memo to guests at bigmamashousepodcast.com. Thanks. This episode of Big Mama's House Podcast has been brought to you ad-free by our fans. If you would like to learn more about supporting this podcast and this topic, visit www.patreon.com forward slash Big Mama's House. Hi, welcome back to Big Mama's House Podcast. This is season one, episode one. Three easy tech tips for digital parenting during the coronavirus. This first official episode after the pilot is not what I originally envisioned. Just like in real life, our best laid plans often change. Originally, the topic for episode one was meant to be about the impact of the coronavirus stay-at-home order on families. This has now become episode number two, which consists of several interviews I did with real parents we discussed in sometimes hilarious detail, where we are succeeding and failing in terms of digital parenting. I'm proud of those interviews and grateful to those individuals. I learned a ton from them and I think you will too. So as I was about to hit the upload button to share it with all of you, something made me stop. I've learned to trust my instincts and in going back to my overarching philosophy on digital parenting, which is that it's easier to prevent problems than to repair the damage, I was able to identify where I went wrong. Based on what I learned from those interviews, many parents at this moment need concrete advice and easy tips, perhaps even more than they need to commiserate with fellow sufferers. In the interest of triaging parental concerns and stopping the bleeding, I decided at the last minute and very late at night to create this episode as number one. A quick review of just three simple things you can do right now to try and bring a little more control over the tech overuse runaway train resulting from kids and parents being stuck inside the house. Obviously, the three tips I'm going to share with you in this episode do not cover all the potential risks of tech use to kids, parents, or property. But I can promise you this. If all you do is implement these three tips, you'll feel lighter, less stressed out, better rested, and the entire family stress level should lighten a bit. I promise. And that, my friends, is how we ended up here, releasing two episodes on a single day. 
After you listen to this episode, you may feel like the worst parent in the world. Don't do that. Instead, immediately listen to episode number two, where you'll hear the interviews and immediately feel better because we're all screwing up somewhere. Because of the stay-at-home order and the fact that school kids are all at home, our typical life patterns have been disrupted, whatever that means in your house. The pattern of when you wake up, take meals, leave the house, shower, go to bed, all of those repetitive actions that punctuate our lives and provide some structure have been blown to hell. It has become abundantly clear just how much we need that structure in our lives. Without it, everything seems to lose its shine and meaning. As humans, we survive and thrive on patterns, routine, expectation, and repetition. There's something deeply meaningful about losing those marks in our lives and on our calendars. The loss of Passover and Easter celebrations, the traditional meals, canceled weddings, milestone birthdays, graduations, prom, and too many more to mention. If you think about it dispassionately and logically, not being able to celebrate Passover or Easter with your community doesn't diminish your personal beliefs. You don't cease being a Jew or a Christian because you didn't eat the foods or wear the clothing. Having to cancel the wedding celebrations doesn't make you any less married. I mean, you could just go to City Hall and sign the license and be done. Your milestone birthday wasn't canceled any more than the fact that you will be a high school graduate and you will receive your diploma whether or not you wore the gown and the tassel. What is it about these ancillary behaviors or details which make such a huge difference to how we feel about ourselves and each other? We could even go so far as to say that all of those other things aren't necessary at all. I mean, imagine a last day of high school where you just say, later, leave the school and receive your diploma in the mail. Easy peasy. What's with all the fuss? It would certainly make life easier and cheaper. No gifts, no parties, no prom expenses, nothing. Even just saying those words, it feels wrong. We need to celebrate life. We need to celebrate each other and punctuate life with this structure of seasons and milestones and stages. And if that's true at the macro level, the large overview of stages of life over decades, then it follows that it also must be true at the micro level, the minute level of life, day over day. This feels obvious and right, but I wanted to know if there was any real science behind just the feeling. Whenever I have questions about child development, I go to my bestest friend, Deborah Leone. She's a retired child and family psychotherapist and a great resource, and yeah, she's all those things. But she also hates all the same things I hate. And this collective hatred is the glue that has cemented our friendship. You know, like hate glue. When I ask Deb if there's a beneficial connection between routine and mental health, specifically related to children, she sent me the following. And once I read it to you, you'll see that she's clearly smarter than I am. So here's what she sent. Quote, Bossard and Ball's original work, 1950, on family rituals first illuminated that rituals were powerful organizers of family life, supporting its stability during times of stress and transition. Since that time, it has become a widely accepted psychological tenant that instituting routines and family ritual for your children will provide consistency, security, and safety. In the age of anxiety in which we find ourselves and our children, the predictability and familiarity that comes with routine offers the perfect safe space that kids need. Stressing the necessity and significance of consistency, ritual, and routine, it's also worth pointing out the consequences of the lack of these mechanisms. Daily routines, or lack of, have been linked to household chaos and subsequent child behavior problems. 
end quote. And by the way, check the liner notes for all of the sources that are cited in that paragraph. Humans are tribal. We need a posse. And our innate human need for connection overlaps or could arguably be the same thing as our human need for routine and expectation. Children especially need routine. You'll have a much easier time as the parent of a teeny baby if you try your best to put that child to bed at the same time every evening, if nap times are consistent, if meal times are consistent. And by the way, impossible to do 100% of the time. But as parents, we do what we can. That need for routine and pattern doesn't go away as we age. If your child is 5 years old or 10 years old or 18 years old or even for yourself at (coughs) years old, let's not mention it, We all benefit when we live a life that's not completely chaotic. I'm a huge supporter of setting tech limits for our children, not only because it serves the overall health of the child, but also because it gives some structure to the family. Plus, there's the fact that your children want limits, whether they realize it consciously or they don't want to admit it. And by the way, I have the data to prove it. In 2018, I wrote a long piece on this topic. Check out the liner notes for a link to the complete piece. When I present to students all over the country, I give them an anonymous exit survey. One of the questions asks the students, quote, what do you feel your parents need to know about digital usage and risks? For the article, I gathered 1,040 student responses. Here's a short summary of just some of the results. 51% of the students wanted their parents to address their own device or social media overuse, like the parents' overuse. And by the way, I hear this one at 100% of the schools I visit. 23% of the students wanted their parents to say no to them or to deny them access to devices. 22% of the students wanted more consistent parent control or additional parental supervision on devices. And 5% of the students felt that their parents are addicted to devices themselves. When I tell you that your children want you to say no to them, it's not just a guess. I have the benefit of piles of data to prove the point. And by the way, the data I just shared was collected from only 13 schools where I've presented, and that's just a tiny fraction of all the data. Based on this understanding that your children, A, want limits for themselves, and B, see that their parents are just as addicted, I've come up with a quick and easy to implement plan. My favorite type of digital parenting tip is one which is easy to police and maintain. If you've ever tried to make any life change like losing weight or improving your diet, then you probably already know that creating goals which are overly ambitious or a drastic change from where you are today are more likely to fail. If you've spent years eating fast food during the day and inhaling four Kit Kats in bed moments before you close your eyes, then a cold turkey plan of bean sprouts all day and zero Kit Kats before bed probably isn't going to stick. This is especially true right now at a moment when all our human frailties are so raw and obviously on display. The family member who does not cope well with stress is walking around on fire, and the child with the sweet tooth is hoarding ancient Halloween candy under her pillow. With all of that in mind, I've gone through my bag of tricks to choose just a handful of tips to offer you, and I've made sure that they're each, one, easy to understand and easy to implement, life is too stressful right now to try to wrap our minds around anything complicated, two, easy to police, and three, provide a benefit larger than the sum of its parts. 
Just a quick programming note here. In the liner notes for this episode, I'll provide a sort of cheat sheet for all of these tips. So be sure to grab that. And if you're a member of the fan club, as usual, you guys get extra stuff. So be sure to download the chart and the notes in the PDF I created just for you guys. Follow the links on the channel, uh, www.patreon.com forward slash Big Mama's House. Okay, let's get started. If there were an audio version of an emoji rolling up her sleeves, I would insert that here with like Eye of the Tiger playing in the background, which I think just revealed how old I am. But anyway, so instead, tip number one, parents, heal thyself. If you want your kids to model good and not addicted tech behavior, begin with yourself. Remember the data I just shared with you? Out of over a 1,000 student survey responses, 56% said that their own parents either overuse devices or exhibit tech addiction behaviors. You're not fooling anyone. But how to do that? Going cold turkey is not going to work for you any more than our fast food Kit Kat friend can just kick those habits on a dime. Tech addiction is similar to overconsumption of sugar. The less you use it, the less you come to want it. The more you use it, the more you end up wanting it, and the increased quantity you will need to feel satisfied. Here's a guaranteed and foolproof plan to reduce your own tech usage as an adult. And it's going to sound radical, so just hold on until I'm done explaining it. Parents, delete Facebook and Instagram from your phone. (gasps) Okay, take a deep breath. I didn't say delete your account. God forbid I should say that. I only said delete it from your phone. If instead you want to grab your laptop or tablet to check out what your best friend had for dinner last night, and look, I don't get what the thing is with the posting of the dinner. Anyway, if you want to log in on your tablet or laptop, go for it. The point is that when it's on your phone, it just becomes too easy to Pavlov's dog your way through the rest of your life. Here's why this works. First of all, it's super easy to implement. You just delete the thing off your phone and you're done. There's no need to police. It's gone. There's nothing to manage. And the benefits way outweigh the sum of its parts. First of all, I can guarantee you, you'll be a much happier person when you unhook your eyeballs from the blow-by-blow of social media insanity. Do you really want to know this much about your neighbors and marginal friends from high school? And honestly, please stop reading and watching the news 24 hours a day, especially right now. It's just unhealthy. Next, you'll be modeling better device behavior for your entire family. And lastly, you'll be looking up instead of looking down, and there's no telling what you might find. All right, next tip. Ready? Tip two, geographic restriction. This is basically a location-based restriction, which is super easy to implement. And I don't mean locations like grocery store or the library because you're not supposed to leave your house. Here's what I mean. You designate a physical space in your home where devices are not allowed. For example, devices are not allowed to stop in the kitchen ever. They can travel through the kitchen, but they can't stop in the kitchen for any reason. And if they stop in the kitchen, they get taken away for X amount of time. Two days ought to do the trick. By the way, this includes you parents. Choose whichever geographic areas are meaningful to you. The den, the backyard. It's your call based on the dynamic of the family. Here's why this tip works. It's super easy to implement and explain. It's super easy to police. If I see it in the kitchen, or if it's in your hand in the kitchen, then it's gone. Since this includes parents, your kids will see this effort as more of a family improvement plan than just focusing on what the kids are doing wrong with tech. Okay, here comes the next one. Ready? Tip three, 
drop dead device deadline. Create a time each evening when every device gets shut down in the entire house. The time you choose is up to you. With younger kids, that might be 8 p.m. For older kids in a house of night owls, that might be midnight. Time's up to you. Here's why this is so critical to the collective mental health of your home. If you use a backlit device less than an hour before bedtime, the light waves emitted from those devices scramble your circadian rhythms, which is the way that your brain decides when it's time to start shutting down to go to sleep and when it's time to wake up. Backlit devices effectively throw a grenade at your circadian rhythms and convince your brain that it's wakey time. You will have a harder time falling asleep and or your quality of sleep will be impacted. And yes, this includes mom and dad. So here's how you implement this one. You might need to use software or some creative and devious ideas, which I love, by the way, to make this one work. Here are a few suggestions. I'm a big fan of using software to automatically make devices useless after a certain hour. Those are great. So for example, Verizon has a great plan add-on and I don't get money from Verizon for saying that. The last time I checked, it's about $5 per account per month to add the Smart Family app to your uh, plan, which is what I use. You program in a drop dead time for the devices on the account, and regardless of the type of device, whether it's iOS or Android, the phone becomes a brick at 8 p.m. or whatever time you've chosen. The phone can still be used to call parents, grandparents, whatever numbers you set up as exceptions, but it's basically useless for anything else. To prevent kids from messing with the settings, block access to the app store on their device. You should be doing this anyhow. Uh, you can also do this with the Smart Family app or any other basic parental control app or software. Other mobile carriers have similar apps, but from what I've seen, none of them are as good as Verizon's Smart Family. The last time I checked Sprint's version of parental software, it was horrid and really only used location service as well. Um, but check with your own carriers. So I know I'm going to get the question, what about gaming, right? Because there's no really way to blow that up at a certain time of night. So if your kid's gaming on, say, Xbox Live or on their desktop, uh, this is an easy one and something that I've done myself. My now 21-year-old son spent a lot of time gaming when he was around 16 years old. And like any of us, once he got engaged in it, it was hard to get him off. So at X time of the evening, I'd tell him, hey, at this time it's done. And then I'd give them about a 20, 30 minute buffer because when kids are playing live games with other people, the game can't be paused. I'm going to tell you that again because the kid's biggest pet peeves that parents don't understand you can't pause live games. So if I told them you have to be off by 11 p.m., I'd give them to like 1130 just to make sure that game would reasonably be over. And then I would just yank the power cord out of the router modem in the house. Super simple. Now there's no signal for anybody in the house. And doing that made me kind of happy inside. I don't know if that's bad or not, but it did. Here's why this solution works. Using software to achieve the drop dead time is perfect because it's a set it and forget it. Those are great. But even if you have to physically pull the cord from the router, it's easy enough to do just before you yourself go to bed, particularly if you're going to bed while the kids are still awake. There's really no policing involved, which is my favorite. And the benefit for this one has far reaching ripple effects. You'll have more peace of mind of what's going on in your house if you go to bed before your kids. And a lot of us are, especially if you have older teenagers or young adults, they're probably going to bed after you. Everyone in the house will get more sleep, which is enormously important. To learn more about how lack of sleep impacts kids, if you already own my book, uh, go to page 45 of The Boogeyman Exists and he's in your child's back pocket and that's the second edition. But here's a snippet if you don't have the book. 
Uh, quote, lack of sleep in particular can manifest in ways which would seem to point to a much larger or complex cause. Adolescents who get insufficient sleep and or poor quality sleep are, one, far more likely to engage in increased risk-taking behaviors. So less sleep equals risky behaviors or riskier behaviors. Number two, adolescents who get insufficient sleep or poor quality of sleep are, are related to delinquency, in other words, not going to school because of the connection to lack of self-control. Interestingly, what that study showed is that it did not have a connection to parenting practices or even neighborhood impacts, but rather just because of their own lack of being able to engage in self-control when sleep-deprived. And three, adolescents who get insufficient sleep and or poor quality of sleep are impacted in the sense that their own ability to learn, pay attention, and process emotional inputs are diminished. So the impact on ability to learn and pay attention is pretty self-explanatory. But how about the bit on processing emotional inputs? Adolescents already have a developmentally appropriate and hormone-induced roller coaster of emotions. I mean, that's everybody knows that. You know how your 15-year-old daughter wakes up, grunts in your general direction, then two minutes later she's laughing hysterically, and then two minutes after that she's barking at you and you have no idea what just transpired. That may be annoying and rude, but it's normal for adolescents. However, the lack of sleep, quality of sleep, and quantity of sleep makes that roller coaster of emotions, which is normally developmentally appropriate, last longer and with more extreme highs and more extreme lows. Uh, Again, check out the liner notes for the links to the studies I referenced and additional reading on sleep deprivation. Okay, now there you have it. Three simple tips. One, Parents remove social media from their phones. Two, set a geographic restriction. Three, create a drop-dead time for device use. Implement them today and you'll begin to see the benefit almost immediately. But before you do any of that, go and listen to episode number two, Staying Sane, Digital Parenting, during a pandemic. Okay, don't forget to look at the liner notes for the cheat sheet, additional reading, and all citations on the sources and research in the episode. If you're already a member of Big Mama's House Fan Club, you'll have a PDF download covering everything in the episode. You'll find it in the channel. Thanks for listening. And remember, parenting is hard. Be kind to yourself. This has been a Big Mama's House production hosted by Jesse Weinberger. The outro music was written and mastered by Caleb Weinberger.